It is time now, once again, for us to take a long rest. This long rest, we are joined by Lydia, who is a member of the uh, Adventuring Guild with all of us, and who also partakes in the Chaos Plan game. You can hear her there. Uh, with me for my co-host is Brayden. For today's uh, character, I will be playing, or I will be portraying, Garrick Highhill, a stout halfling barbarian. So, I decided that because I'm a bit of a foodie, uh, here in Faerun, that only the freshest ingredients will work for me. So I set out, and with a passion fueled by good food and cooking, I bring down the largest beast to get the freshest meat that I can and roast it and cook it. I am a guild artisan, the, uh, we'll call it the Guild of Butchers, and, uh, I use my great axe to, to take out all manner of delicious and tasty beasts that you will find in the forests. So I'm currently sitting with my companions here, cooking a... Let me roll up Cobalt Beast and a Cobalt Fight Club Beast and see what I get. <laughs> oh, God. We are currently cooking up a giant rat and a poisonous snake. <laughs> but I am confident in my food prep skills that we should survive this meal. <laughs> Go ahead, Brayden. Take it over. I'm done. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I am Oran Nin Ninjel, I guess it is. Uh, <laughs> I am a rock gnome fighter, a battle master particularly, and I am a soldier. So I like to think that I've been around this campsite looking for bandits. There has been bandits out here lately, and I'm, I'm all for standing for the greater good and helping those who cannot fight for themselves. So, uh, I've been on guard, keeping watch consistently around the clock. I'm tired, but it's worth it at the end of the day, making sure those innocents remain innocent. Uh, I guess I'm playing a super brooding character. I didn't... <laughs> 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 I Wait, so you're, you're a brooding character that fights bandits at the night? You're, are you Batman? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the smallest Batman. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Okay, and uh, our guest with us this week is Lydia, who will be portraying her Chaos Plan character, Fimdir. Go ahead and take it away, Lydia. Oh, of course. Yes, I am Fimdir, a wood elf of, of Hagen. Um, specifically right now, acting as Pathfinder for Fateport. And one thing that happens frequently in the role of a Pathfinder is you must... A player role in negotiating certain trades, uh, including that of culinary goods. My companion here seems to know a fair amount about that, and we have suitable protection now from the apparent bandits on this route, so despite the um, sh short company I might keep, I feel very secure in our current position and our goal. Okay. Yeah, I... I... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Short company on purpose, what do you mean by a shortcut? <laughs> oh, well, 
it's uh, it's 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 an elvish saying, you know. Sh- sh- short company means s- sturdier. <laughs> Very smooth save. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say it's kind kind of becoming a theme with you and short short uh, companions and whatnot with almost half of our group. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Um, so go ahead, Lydia. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you got started in Dungeons & Dragons and uh, what all experience you have with the game in all its different facets. Oh, goodness. So I guess for me, it didn't actually start too long ago. It was a couple of years ago. And I was previously with a group of friends online and we were playing uh, an MMO online and we were very much involved in the leadership and organizing things there before we all ended up leaving because of some dispute with the leadership and we were just kind of family about trying to find something to do and someone suggested making a dnd campaign they had some experience with it and so this became my first encounter with it and i made my very first character which was uh Alakos. She was a quarter orc, very proud young woman and very stern. Did not make many friends, um, including from the group. <laughs> um, it was my first brush with D&D, so things could have gone better. Um, at, at a point, um, I, th- I think, you know, <laughs> the trouble when you play with D&D with, you know, people that are awfully close to each other and you know really good friends is sometimes you really get on each other's nerves um and in the process of this campaign i played three different characters <laughs> and every single one of them was attacked by the party at some point and <laughs> at one point they succeeded in killing one of my characters oh no wow <laughs> um so at a point i decided you know I have some disputes over maybe how some of the things here are run. Maybe I, I'm just after something different. So I decided to, I asked the DM if I could create another campaign in the setting and act as if I contended with it. And he said yes. And so I created a Sovereign, which was my sort of French revolutionary style campaign, which is filled with politics and intrigue and subterfuge um, and with a smaller group. And it was a lot of fun. You know, the first chapter of that was probably the best D&D experience I've ever had. And it really set me on my path DMing. And we actually concluded that campaign uh, late last year to a, a satisfying conclusion. Um, everyone has to kill a god in the end, or godlike being in this case. Um, and it was it was a lot of fun. Um, and now... Is having a bit of a hiatus from most games, and I'm working on a brand new setting for myself, um, with which is going to be far more historical fantasy, and it's with a bunch of new races, backgrounds, bits, and it should be fun. That's fantastic. Yeah, you don't hear a whole lot about um, people's first time setting up a campaign being, you know, political intrigue and that. Uh, so that's that's a really cool direction that you went. Not a whole lot of campaigns was, go yeah, that way. Oddly successful. Um, which is strange. <laughs> <laughs> I have lost many a yeah. campaign, so I understand it, entirely. Yeah, it's it's funny that the only campaign that I've been in currently that's reached a conclusion <laughs> at the end was my own. I have yet to see that anywhere else. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, that is 
that is a big accomplishment. There aren't a whole lot of campaigns that can say they concluded successfully like that. <laughs> all right. Um, what all then do you do with D&D? Like, I know you create the, uh, the class like the Harlequin that we'll be talking about here in just a little bit. Um, what other ways do you interact with D&D besides just um, as an author? I mean, I, I've been delving, of course, a lot more into DMing. I've been delving uh, into doing cartography. I'm actually working still on the map for the Chaos Planners, which I've got this one. Um, I am very much into building all kinds of things around lore and history and expanding that side of it. I'm, for some reason, into the logistics of it all. I'm very anally retentive when it comes to <laughs> freaking uh, how, measuring the miles in between point A and point B and work out exactly how long that's going to take the group to walk. <laughs> Whatever reason. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm very much into all these different aspects of it and I enjoy it so much. It's consumed so much of my free time. That is awesome. Yeah, I cannot wait until we're able to show everybody those maps that you've been working on. I am extremely excited for it, seeing some of your other maps that you have made. Are you the kind of DM to track food and water and weight and everything like that, too? Well, that depends. Are you the type to forget? (laughs) (laughs) I I never... I I, I always... When I remember trying to make sure... Have you had your meal today? Oh, it's a shame. Slow point of exhaustion there. <laughs> After like, um, I think it's like a week without food, I had a point of exhaustion, and three days without water, I had a point of exhaustion. That is great. Calculating up my weight after playing this character for probably about <laughs> a year and a half, and I was a I was a, a human with like eight strength, and I was carrying like three hundred pounds of material. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my god! Yes, a small tangent. It reminds me of um my uh, dwarf forge cleric. She was called Name. Funny enough, her her name was Name. <laughs> I adored her so much. N A I M. She was lovely. Um, and we discovered that like she was borderline encumbered. Um, for the majority of this, and at a point we were going to this uh, big elven city, and they searched through our bags, um, and nobody really knew what I had in my bags this whole time. Um, and so they went into my bags, and they just called out ingots and ingots and ingots, <laughs> just pure steel and a mantine mithril, which time it on like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, I remember I, I, there's been so many times where like I'll have players that go in and like uh, slay a dragon and there's like 9,000 copper coins and all this kind of stuff. And like, oh, we just start shoving it into pouches. I'm like, do you guys have any idea how much that stuff actually weighs the, the amount of space you would need for that many coins? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite thing to do. Very um, but what we ended up doing was we cut off the dragon's head, carved it out, and used a skull <laughs> as, like, a sled. <laughs> That's terrifying. Oh it was like this, it was this gold statue, I like depicting some sort of draconic dragon-born creature, and it was like, we have to have that. And we had no other way of getting it. Oh my god, that is ridiculous, but amazing all at the same time. I love those kind of silly campaigns where that kind of stuff happens. That was amazing. 
All right. Uh, go ahead, Braden. I know you, uh, being the guild artisan and whatnot with uh, class creation and all that, uh, have quite a bit to ask uh, Lydia about her Harlequin, so let's go ahead and move into that. Yeah, how about you just give us a brief overview of the entire class? I know it's a very broad question. Uh, yeah, just a little bit of an overview of what the class is exactly. Right, of course. Well, the Harlequin, my, um, my latest project... Um, is, it's a, of course, it's a martial melee class but supplemented with its own cantrip casting system. And a law point of view, it's very much the idea of ultimate loner in a sense, which seems odd to a group game. But they still, they, these people are very much people who disconnect themselves from their past in one way or another, whether from their families, their histories, the world itself, all kinds of things. And these people would take paths of complete, almost material disconnects and allowing them to sort of build into previously unknown, unseen powers. Uh, yes, and you know, they, it's very much the premise of the person who runs away with the circus, but if the circus was as evil as every town thought it was, Delving into supernatural elements for these creepy groups of people all wearing masks huddled around all. That's awesome. It's, uh, yeah, so it was, coming up with a concept for that was a lot of fun. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to know about just in terms of the overview? I, I, I would just like to make a point also, I really love how you've, like, upon your explanation there, how you said these, uh, this class sort of detaches themselves from their past. I love how you've added that. Uh, upon creating the Harlequin, you get that pseudonym potential feature where you can pretty much change around your sub race and replace it with that. Yeah, I, 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 um, I, I, I thought that was a fun addition. I wanted, I, I thought about um, creating a race in itself, but at the same time, I still wanted to give people a history um, to hide. And I, I, I like. The, um, what it's currently got. It's a bit complicated, but it works with races that don't have a sub-race, but I left it up to DM negotiation as well. Awesome. Yeah, and that is a fairly interesting and complex sort of uh, idea, if you will, uh, this class itself. I wonder where you get the inspiration from for this. Oh, goodness. Okay, is this the part I come clean? So, after <laughs> I published Commander... Uh, which was my first class that I um, publicly released, um, which I guess I'll talk about later. But um, I was talking with a couple of my friends um, about if they had any ideas about like what what would you guys do if you if you homebrewed something. Um, and a good friend of mine, um, Janessa, she made the suggestion like she, she's very goofy with her D and D play style. Like she likes to screw with things and people. Um, accidentally burnt down a city and unleashed a tide of giants onto one. That was that was fun. She um suggested like oh what like what about a, like a clown like a, a jester like a court jester. Um at the time I was like ah oh, that's stupid no. <laughs> <laughs> I put it in much nicer terms. But I thought that's silly. Who would want to do that? And then. Um, after updating the commander a few more times, it's like, oh, I want to work on another project now because I'm not spending too much time on commander anymore. It's like, oh, it's not bad. <laughs> um, so I started thinking of a few ideas of how it would work. And um, 
I looked into to, um, a few different di uh, depictions of the Harlequin. Uh, for example, one depicted in Warhammer 40k, uh, which you know is the sci-fi equivalent of a death jester, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, also, various fantasy depictions. Um, also, various um, sort of just like folklore, which is a lot of fun to look into and stuff that people thought that the circus used to get up to when they visited town. But um, yeah, it's it's very much quite an amalgamation, but the credit for the idea has to go to my friend Janessa, who um, it, uh, I've, I've uh, <laughs> debated with whether her name should be on the front cover or not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was very much expecting this to be a light-hearted class, but upon flipping through it, I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of sort of darkness uh, built into this club. It's uh, it's really cool. Yeah, I twist off of what I was thinking. Exactly. Yeah, I love a lot of those classes that have a little bit of that personality in with it. You know, everybody has that stereotypical idea about barbarians yelling and screaming and smashing things. That's just what barbarians do. You know, so when a class actually delves a little bit deeper than just the mechanics and talks about, you know, some of the back story or back history of why somebody would choose a class like this, I, I, I love that little bit in there. That That is a very genius aspect to it. Yeah, um, a lot of that came from how I really liked how Warlock was made as a class and the fact that not only did it give you this awesome class with all these features, but it explained what it took to get that point. The fact that in order to gain this power, you have to make a pact with some sort of outer planner entity. And I like the idea of right there, you've got, a, you've got a story hook right from your character creation without having anything else. And I also wanted to include that in. So right off the bat, it's like, okay, you have a past and whatever that past is, or, or or maybe something has happened to you that's just so traumatic you had to get away from it. Or maybe you were wronged in some way and you had to abandon your identity in order to get revenge. All these different ideas that come from abandoning one's identity. Yeah, that's really awesome. Can you talk a bit about, uh, you mentioned this is a martial club, uh, and it has a D6 hit dice, Lydia. How how balance this out? I am in <laughs> I made that sound oh so funny. Yes, you did. <laughs> I must ask, why on earth did you think this was a good idea? <laughs> I, have, I, 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 have, I approve yeah, of it. I love, I have, I love I that. I um, So the decision to give it a D6 hit night was because very much... I suppose it, on my part, it was the fact that it is meant to encourage a very particular style of play. In the same way that the fact that your wizard has a d6 hit die means that you're probably not going to run in and stab things because you can take a hit. You can't take a hit, except with the addition of, of your magics. So, in this case, what I wanted to emphasize with the playstyle of the Harlequin is that I've given it all these abilities to help it maneuver, help it move quickly, to avoid getting hit at all, to basically, in a sense, be a dodge tank of sorts. And the thing I did not want to uh, encourage was the idea that if you get bogged down in combat, then you're fine. You know, you can take a hit, 
the point of the Harlequin is you're always in a state of dance. You're wearing virtually nothing, and most of your, your, your strength and power comes from unknown magics. So, yeah, that was very much my thinking going into it. And I find that, at least from my testing, because I did originally have it as a VA hit die when I was in playtesting, um, one thing that happened, it's almost psychological when someone has a D8 hit die, it's like, I'm getting tied up, i got like three guys in contact with me, it's pretty fine, I'll stay here and just keep doing what I'm doing. As soon as you've got that D6 hit die, it's like, nope, out, line, <laughs> straight out, and then the picking people off, tactically drawing very particular lines to attack people. Um, which works well with the Dance of Death, which is its signature ability. Yeah, well, um, yeah, go ahead, Braden. After you, my friend. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it almost encourages that that myth, I guess, that, that, that you don't hear very often of, but those mid-range classes, the ones that are, you know, <laughs> able to swoop in, attack, and swoop back. A lot of times the monk is thought up to be that way, but I rarely see people actually play a monk that way. They're either up there with all the... the con and uh, decks they need to dodge it, or their way of the four elements and they're just staying on the outskirts, you know? So that is a really cool way to kind of have that mid-range fighter in there, for lack of a better term, is give them the abilities to hit, but, you know, don't give them enough help to make them want to stay there at the front line. <laughs> I love how deliberate it all seems as well, that you, uh, that your character's um, doing this dance, they're moving in and out and everything, very sort of calculated. Uh, from this movement of whatnot. Mm. Such a nice document you've done so well. Thanks. Um, the current version, yeah, I published yeah, um, last night should be 1.1.4. Makes it, makes it feel so official when you add numbers on the end. <laughs> Very much so. Some of these masks are terrifying. I will add. Oh, they, they were great. Um, this I talked to about that was very nice in terms of um, the fact that um, you know as, as long as I was putting it for free, it was all good. Um, I, I, I like the masks, and I will say, like um, looking at all these different art pieces and a bunch of others that I was told I couldn't include, but um, it, it was it, it honestly was so much inspiration just to take from the masks, and I think that's what they should be doing, like. You should be able to read a lot about a Harlequin by how that person's designed their mask. Yeah, that is awesome. I like that idea about each mask being unique and having its own story. That is really cool. Yeah, and I will. Okay, I will also ask, uh, like the mask of the solitaire as well. That one in particular with the skull face with the black bleeding eyes. Um, mm. When your character walks into like an area of civilization, how, how are they going to be reacted to? Well, it's funny you should mention the solitaire in regards to that because one of you know the quirks this is a solitaire is I avoid public spaces whenever I can. Open, open, no, absolute. And the truth is, when it comes to that, you're going to be avoiding being either. It's, it's, it's a case of either you want to be the center of attention or you're completely avoiding it. Um, it very much depends on how you choose to play it. But it's, it's a case of uh, very much choosing the situation, I suppose. Because a Harlequin is still very much performer. They're very eye-catching. Absolutely. And all these, but, um, all these subclass... Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> all these subclass options. When you were 
like you were just saying about the art, did the art particularly inspirate, inspire <laughs> a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of the subclasses that you've got, or did you have an idea of what you wanted to do with a lot of them prior to actually, uh, or sort of during the base class uh, construction? It was a bit of blessing actually, because I actually had these concepts for the um, archetypes worked out before the art, so it just really just so happened to line up perfectly. There are of course a bunch of others I didn't use, and I'm working on ideas for those, but um, the current archetypes were very much just inspired um, just from concept rather than anything. It's so cool. Uh, I love how... I love how each of them gets their own sort of cantrip, uh, secondary cantrips in this case. I'm wondering if you could explain how exactly the casting works for the Harlequin because they have something that is incredibly unique about their spellcasting. Oh yes, goodness. So one thing I wanted to try and tap, tap, tap into was the idea of crafting your own spells and that is a difficult thing to do, especially in the context of most settings or have pre-established spells of what is known and unknown. So it very much helped inspire the class in the sense that I wanted something that could tap into unknown magics, that could dabble into things that most people would look away from or can't see. Um, so that inspires this particular sort I, I dabbled first with the idea of mixing actual spells and that became very difficult to do because there's such a huge variety of spells that have a huge variety of effects and there was, with the amount of spells available in D&D fifth edition, it was not going to be accounting for even a, a fraction of what people could do. So I narrowed it down to cantrips um, and specifically offensive cantrips. So, and I, you're not spoiled for choice when it comes to offensive cantrips. Um, and so the principle of how it works is that you have, the, the class itself has a pool of primary cantrips. And these are your standard D&D cantrips, ranging from firebolts to vicious mockery. And you can select three of those beginning at second level. And these, this forms your pool. You can use these whenever you want. And when you choose your subclass, you get a snubber pool, your, your secondary pool. And this includes um, eight uh, brand new cantrips for every single um, subclass. So they've all got their own unique cantrips to them. And these can also be cast independently, but the neat thing you can do is you can use these things called Discord points. So you tap into more discordant energies and you begin to merge and change the nature of magic. Taking these two cantrips and creating something brand new. Choose a primary cantrip and a secondary cantrip and they become one. A brand new cantrip um, which takes on most of the uh, traits of the primary cantrip such as range or if it's melee, it's melee um, or the components. But the effects of both and the damage of them is morphed into one. So suddenly you can have a literal vicious mockery that causes someone's blood to boil and explode. You can have a firebolt which releases noxious fumes which poison people. You can have uh, a, a ray of 
frost that instantly melts and burns you. You can have all kinds of interesting things. And when you get up to a certain level now, um, recently made the addition that you can take two secondary cantrips and put it to a primary. Suddenly, you've got the most random magical creations coming out of the astral plane. They're just being brought to death. And it's you usually get comfortable and you pick some combinations that you know you really like or you found are really useful but sometimes you just come up with the wackiest stuff just the, the strangest things and it's so much fun just to explore all the possibilities and imagining how it works and come up with names for them like there's just mockery we made that boiled people's blood um i, I believe i shared this before uh we termed politically incorrect and so whenever you, whenever uh, we had the playtester use that, they would always tell just the most horrendous jokes. <laughs> um, we actually killed someone, which was hilarious. Um, it was a lot of fun. That is fantastic. I, I really like the epic poem, uh, the enchantment cantrip one, that they are deafened until their turn. It's that. It's just hilarious to me. Have you ever heard something so ridiculous that you just quit hearing for a while? <laughs> that is fantastic. As a DM, thinking up some of the sort of explanations you could have as a player playing the class when you do mix those spells together to create this just absolute myriad of different effects is super interesting, particularly if you were playing, I believe it's the um, morning, they're playing the um, morning subclass uh, having like a vicious mockery mixed with the storm crow where you like spit out a black crow or something like that and that flies <laughs> over so and then delivers the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It seems to be a recurring thing on this, uh, this podcast that I like my characters to spit out small black creatures <laughs> and crows and whatnot, so it seems. Yeah. And, uh, do you have a favorite, um, Kendra? You're asking me to pick out a favorite child. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to say, and I made this one in combination with my friend Janessa, who helped me a lot with this particular, um, this particular, um, subclass. It was for Cloud Dancer, because um, they had a, one of the big inspirations for Cloud Dancer was the actual uh, one of their characters that they played in my campaign. Uh, she was in um, in Air Genasi, and <laughs> this is going to get complicated. So at a point, this 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 Air Genasi, she they discovered these potions. They had no idea what they were, and she drank one, and it turned out to be a a drop of fate with it is a custom potion I'd made and it changed an aspect of your past. And they rolled so badly on the D one hundred that they lost function of their legs. Um, <laughs> but it's worse because it changes everyone's memory. So suddenly the whole party I told you guys always remember this character having not had access to you know, not being able to use their legs. You had to carry them all this way. And she was the only one who knew that she could previously walk and she was so upset. But um, eventually we managed to find workarounds and she managed to get this cool jewel which allowed her just to float around and in place and she truly ascended to become an air genasi. Um, so that, that was the, kind of the whole basis of this particular subclass and she helped create probably my favorite character which is Updraft. <laughs> and it's so simple. Um, Literally, it's just, you target someone at 30 feet, 
strength saving throw, and if they fail, um, whether it's an object, it instantly just goes 10 feet in the air, um, and it instantly drops. And that's not much, that's like a d6 damage if it drops 10 feet, virtually nothing. But as it goes up in level, that's another 10 feet, and another 10 feet, and another 10 feet. So s suddenly you are able to just, in combination with the cantrips, just send one shooting up into the air and dropping them down. But it's also useful to like climbing up ledges, and it's a great utility spell occasionally. Um, but it's always been imagining, it's, it's always been so fun imagining doing a firebolt, which is just the best uppercut ever. It just sends them flying into the air and then crashing back down. So updraft is by far the funniest one to use, and it's, it's definitely my favorite. That is, okay, that is so, fantastic. Uh, my mind would be using it with vicious mocker, having it. Uh, Monty, uh, the Holy Grail, Monty Bunch, the Holy Grail, where the bridge master is asking them questions. <laughs> asking them a question. What is your favorite color? Red. No, green. They go flying. <laughs> oh my god. That is fantastic. Oh, mockery just breaks all of these because it's like, oh yes, I do the freaking black breath, but with vicious mockery. I, I do freaking all the weird stuff. Yes, I will do rose petals, but with a vicious mockery. So I need a rose come out of my mouth. Just, <laughs> I don't even know. It's so weird. That is but awesome. I'm so like glad I do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And where do you see, I know you said this is sort of a class that is detached and is kind of like lonesome or loner in nature. But uh, where do you see, if someone, like a DM wanted to add this as like a NPC to their world, where do you see them fitting into a fantasy setting? Oh, it very much depends on the type of Harlequin. Like, for instance, a solitaire Harlequin might actually be out for a certain person. A solitaire is very much, you know, they have got a death mark, they've got someone they need to kill, it might be a party member, it might be someone else. They might have a begrudging alliance with the party to kill this particular person, while remaining very mysterious, unsure of their ulterior motives. You might have a, um, a spitting image harlequin who's pretending like they're the party's friend, very charismatic, very... You know, oh, I want to help you accomplish your goals. Trust me, I understand politics. I can help you. But being completely two-faced, all they've got everything mapped out in their head and are intentionally manipulating and, and trying to accomplish their own goals through the party or through others. Yeah, the cloud dancer, which is just airy fairy, go with the wind, might just run into the party on a lark, do whatever they felt like, leave. They're just unpredictable in that sense and yes also of course the morning which you know could be very much out for revenge maybe against a particular party member who's wronged them maybe a very specific person it's all kinds of things you can do and even then there are any baselines see I, I like to think that even if you haven't come up with anything for this Harlequin NPC the, the class and the subclass in itself is enough of a springboard to launch something off if you just want to throw one in there. 
Yeah, I agree. I'm definitely going to be using the Harlequin. At some point, you guys will meet a Harlequin within the Chaos Plan, because it is a fantastic class. I know you mentioned them having, uh, well, the rarity of them having, like, a troop of Harlequins together. That could almost operate as any any sort of different business, like a Thieves Guild of sorts, even, or a Assassin sort of uh, Dark Brotherhood type uh, guild. Um, I don't very much see many of these different uh, masks sort of working together. Uh, particularly Cloud Dancer definitely seems to be the least evil of them all. Yes. Uh, and that would, I feel like a, a group of Cloud Dancers could probably work together, whereas the others might be able to work together in tandem. Uh, the Morning, the um, other ones along those lines. Uh, yeah, definitely I could see like a group of solitaires that have been like uh, wronged perhaps as a group and all turn to well it's not really a solitaire when this group so that doesn't work <laughs> but um yeah they might be trained by non-solitaire but once they're really just cast out they're on their own absolutely um, yeah yeah it's, it's interesting when you start thinking about <laughs> The group politics of Harlequin troops, of all things. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned before, just steering away from the Harlequin troop, mm-hmm. that you have your commander up on the DM skill as well, which I oh, have yes. in fact played and enjoyed uh, whipping many people. Uh, would you like to give us a brief overview of that as well, if people haven't seen that set of episodes yet? It's okay, very yes. awkward. Yeah. Be careful with that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's got very interesting, um, very well timed musical cues. Um, um, yeah, the, the commander class came from the fact that I want to be clear on one thing: I had never heard of a warlord class before I set out to make this. I didn't know that was a thing. I I've been playing D&D for less than a year. I was familiar with fifth edition barely. And, and I set out to make something that I just thought was missing from it. I thought, all the support classes, they're all seem to be magical, but what if I want to help people that I'm not necessarily very arcane gifted or divine? So I thought, well, I love yelling at people. Let's give me an excuse to do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I originally set out to make a, um, a subclass for fighter. And it was okay. I was it was a centurion because I'm, I'm very much about the history, but it felt too generic. Like I was cramming in all these different ideas of all kinds of commanders into just a centurion. And I realized there are so many different styles of leadership that you can pick from. You know, pick from in history. Why not make a whole class dedicated to it? So uh, that took. It's, it's like been a year working on it. Um, I released at some point in there, and it was an ongoing project, um, many different versions, and oh boy, I'm the only one, only person in existence who saw the first version, 1.0, and I will never let another human see that in my lifetime. <laughs> it is terrible, it is cringy, and it is everything about myself that I hate. <laughs> but um, it was it was such a joy. Um, to see it be picked up and to see it played on the podcast. It was a great introduction to it and it really got me motivated to start making more of the stuff I had planned. Um, it, yeah, so 
because I haven't really described the class at all, really. It's it's very much martial supports. It's got some fighting capabilities, depending on uh, how you style yourself. It's very much turn by turn. Um, you are able to issue commands and support your team by making either uh, giving them buffs, by debuffing your enemies, uh, getting information about your enemies, all kinds of things. You can do huge area of effect passives. You can do single target strong um, commands and all kinds of things, depending on your style. You can whip someone to death if you want. Because <laughs> literally the start. most evil subclass there was Slaver, and you picked it, and that brought me no end of It's been improved a lot since being featured on the podcast as well. It's at a point where I'm super happy with it. There is very little I would go back and change but at this point, and I'm at a, an old time uh, five point of how long it's been since the last week. It's like every week I go back and tweak it just a little, little bit, a little tiny bit, and then I'll publish it all later. But I haven't touched it not so long. That's always one of the best things about publishing something. Getting it to that point where you've ironed out all those little mm-hmm. kinks and uh, sort of gotten rid of a lot of the little spelling mistakes that people are posting on the DM Skill uh, mm-hmm. discussion thread telling you, oh, hey, this, this here is... Uh, spelled wrong where you've included a kit that doesn't exist. <laughs> not, not speaking from personal experience. Really. But, um, yeah, it's, it's very satisfying getting to that, getting to that point. Mm-hmm. And I would very much recommend everyone going and checking it out and playing oh, yeah. as a character. People. Oh, sorry, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I um, I thought you were going to say everyone try the hand at making a class. I'm, I was going to say definitely if if you're a DM. I highly recommend at least trying your hand at making a class because it gives you this brand new perspective on how classes balance against each other, how damage balances against two players, all kinds of things. It's super useful. It's, it's just a good exercise. Bob, have you made a class? I've made several subclass attempts. Uh, nothing major with a class yet, but a lot of my subclasses are end up being either really, really wimpy or they belong on D&D Wiki. They're so overpowered and broken. I'm slowly getting one. Um, I, I, the Bard subclass of the musician is one that I'm working pretty heavily on that's all about actual music as a bard, you know, channeling type things, concentration with music type spells. But that one right now is so brokenly powerful that it, it belongs on D&D yeah. Wiki. <laughs> well, I, I, I always I always say if if you end up making a subclass or a class that's stupidly overpowered, just say it's for on sitting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Um, any other last questions that you got, Bray? Uh, no, I think I've covered the majority of points. Like to have covered. Okay. Any last uh, things you want to add about the Harlequin or the Commander before we talk a little bit about Fimdir? Buy my book. No, um, <laughs> um, you can find Harlequin on the DM skills. It's pay what you want. It's completely free. Um, except if you want to, to donate, which is very kind. But I, I very much like sharing this with people. Um, I will be releasing additional supplements for um, Harlequin in the form of two new troops, which I'm working on. Which one of them? Well, I can actually say both of them. Um, 
one of them's the Celestial Choir, and the other one's the, um, the Red Dragon. So it's going to be cool. fun. Yeah, that'll be cool. Um, uh, you can also find Commander there. That's just for a dollar because of the sheer amount of pain and stress that went into that one. <laughs> so that was a lot of work for that one, but it's highly worth it. I've had so much fun with that class, and otherwise, yeah, keep, keep an eye on the space. I've, I've got brand new stuff in the works. All right, yeah, and all of those, we will have links to those in the show notes below, so you can just scroll down a little bit and click right there on the links in the notes to get to those classes. All right, then. Um, so go ahead and tell us a little bit about Fimdir, uh, your inspiration for her, kind of where you see her going. Um, I know we talked a little bit on Discord while you were building her. You sent me an amazing backstory sheet that um, I believe we we put on um, the website or on the Obsidian portal as well. Uh, so go ahead and tell us a little bit about her. Do I have to do this in the style of Fundu, or can I just speak as myself? You can just speak <laughs> as yourself if you like. Oh, okay. So, Fundu, where I wanted to come with it was I played a lot of exceptional characters before, like really out there characters. Um, I've had a lot of fun with them. And the setting I was given for the cow's plan was really out there, really crazy in some aspects. And I thought, well, what better way to stand out than to be very normal and kind of standard and sort of see how that reacts to everything. So I may, I, I set my mind to, what about someone who didn't have any tragedy in their backstory? Who just sort of chose their path, went off on their adventure on the best way they thought they could, and is quite frankly a bit overwhelmed by all the chaos that's going on, um, and just trying to make as much sense of it as they can. So I created India, a, a, a lovely, soft-spoken widow who's not really arcane gifted at all, where most people are delving into the arts of interplanet travels and magics. He's very much just, I'm good with a bow. I can sneak and hide in places. In the ends, um, to very much capitalized our strengths. And, you know, as much as he's trying to, you know, do a good job, you know, earn a place as a pathfinder and do right by her home, a lot of it is trying to make sense of this strange world where now that all this travel's possible, just how overwhelming it all is, just trying to find some sort of semblance of understanding and a sort of placement when you just become so small in the grand scheme of things. So it was my inspiration at least going into her. I did not intend her to be so broken in, in, in terms of how much of a punch she can pack. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I, I've really loved to um, just, you know, despite not having anything brooding and tragic about her, you know, something hidden, it's nice just to be open with people like, oh yes, I've just, I've had a very lovely life. That's awesome. Yeah, that's not a whole lot of, you know, there's always something major that happens to the characters at some point. So it's kind of refreshing to have a quote unquote normal, you know, character kind of join in. Yeah, it's the idea, you know, suddenly when, you know, everyone's super, it's perplexing to see just a normal person, like, suddenly that's the abnormality. 
Yeah. So weird. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um. What uh, you talked a little bit. You have some new projects coming up. Uh, two new troops that you're adding to the Harlequin. Is there anything else you can let us in on before we uh, end the interview? Uh, of course, I've got my my setting, which I met before, which I, I'm calling uh, Mythos, which is very Greco-Roman. And while it is very much for my personal use and my immediate group of friends, I will be making that uh, a sort of a campaign guide style thing available publicly. Um, if people want to use it, that's up to them. But I am working on a new class, actually, which currently what? I've got the framework ready for. Um, and it is very experimental because it almost acts inverse to the way most sessions play out. The most common sort of way sessions play out is you have an encounter, you use your resources, you get slightly weaker. You go on like that throughout the day, you might have two or three encounters and you're getting a bit more drained each time. This new class is called the Crusader. They run on something called momentum. Every time you get to a certain point in a day, you've done a certain amount of encounters, you get more powerful. Momentum builds. The crusade goes on. There's fault. So yes, ex- expect the crusader to be dropping at some points. It's, it's so far. That is awesome. very ambitious. Yeah, that is really cool. That's a that's a. I, I'm really interested to see how that mechanic will end up playing out. That's cool. It'd be fun. Oh. Yes, I'm very excited for that. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, see the classes that you made and all of that other kind of happy, fun stuff? Oh, of course. Um, I don't have much an online presence, but if you want to find where I post everything, it's all my DM skill. Otherwise, if you want to find me and talk to me, uh, best way to do that is to subscribe to the um, Adventuring Guild's Patreon. I'm in there this <laughs> yes, you haunt the Discord boards and and, and uh, jump in at conversations. <laughs> yeah, well, but Patreon's been the bane of my existence. They refuse to. They've been having such issues with my payment methods. Um, it, it's becoming infuriating. It's got to the point now where every time I log into my account on on Patreon, it just closes down the web page, and it's just like, nope, sorry. That's crazy. So it, it, it's it's an error. It's so weird, but I hope they have it sorted soon. But, um, yeah. Pay them in D&D, homebrew classes, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. money. Yeah. Go up to the Do you know who I am? I'm a picture skilled. Seriously, you did this to me? I'm a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> All right. Well, this was a lot of fun talking with you, Lydia. So hopefully we will hear uh, you very soon on another episode of The Chaos Plan. So thank you very much for joining us. Go ahead and say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Kim Deer believes she may have heard somebody or something creeping up on us outside of the camp a little ways and has gone to investigate. So while she is doing her scouting route... I'm going to go ahead and talk about a wonderful item that I use extensively in a good share of my games whenever it comes to merchants and shopping and trading and all of that kind of stuff. And this document is aptly named Traders and Merchants, uh, and it's by Warlock Homebrew. It is a fantastic document, and it has all sorts of crazy and wonderful things out there. 
there has been on more than one occasion. I know I used it a little bit more liberally than um, the guide normally gives. Uh, having my players only roll a d20 to see if they get a legendary merchant instead of the d100. Um, at least in these early episodes, because I like that kind of flavor and lots of fun magic items. Uh, that way I have an excuse to give them to all my enemies. <laughs> um, but So there are a lot of crazy and wonderful things about this document. First and foremost, it can be found on the DMs Guild, so please go check it out. You will not regret it, I promise. Uh, the next thing is they not only categorize the different shops and what they all have, but they also tell the quality of the inventory. So depending on where you're at, you know, a small little podunk, ma and pa general store may only have a poor supply. So, you know, you are you won't be able to wander in with your, you know, 5,000 gold piece magic item and try and sell it to them. Um, if you run into a shop that only has a poor um, uh, quality to it, uh, it's only a D10 times 50 gold pieces. It's all the currency they have on hand. Uh, so it, it limits not only what you can buy, but also what the merchant is able to purchase from you, which I think is huge because it's way too easy for players just to you know, carry as much if you're using uh, encumbrance rules and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of crazy when players just take as much stuff as they physically can haul with them and then just dump it on the nearest merchant they can to try and get coin off of it. Um, you know, in the real world, not every shop will have the money or may not even want to buy 60 long swords that you recovered off of these cultists. Uh, so I, I really enjoy this document, and the legendary merchants are really what made it for me when I first saw it. Uh, they have the legendary merchants are an astral traveler, enchantments, bay bargains, magic items, uh, magical creatures, necromancy, needful things, and time lost. If you've listened to the Chaos Plan at all, you would have already heard uh, some of the merchants on here that we used as part of the uh, Chaos Plan game. I, I love that that festival, crazy merchants. That will definitely be a recurring thing whenever something major and, and significant happens in the world. There will be those legendary merchants here. But um, there's all sorts of crazy items that you can purchase. The merchants uh, I read off earlier, the Astral Traveler um, is got a lot of crazy portal portal type items, a lot of cool things, um, and some new magic items in here, like the Ever Bountiful Soup Kettle. Uh, once per day, turns two gallons of water into enough soup to feed six people. Um, the Jar of Preserving, anything in the jar does not age uh, or require food or air. There's all sorts of really, really cool things with this Astral Traveler. Um, some of the enchantments are uh, really, really fantastic. They're set up into three qualities. Um, minor enchantments, major enchantments, and legendary enchantments. And they have everything from compass, you learn which way is north, to uh, 10-foot bonus to movement speed, to you can add 1d10 to any check save or attack uh, short on a short rest, uh, which is absolutely fantastic, and I can't wait for that one to come up at some point. The Fey Bargains, you heard quite a bit of the Seder, uh, basically gives you a lot of those elven-type uh, items that you would think of, the belts of boom, the boots of elven kind, the bracers of archery, uh, the warlock packs are in here, you gain a warlock pact, uh, which grants the first level of the warlock class. It says Archfey patron, but since this is so much homebrew, I 
messed with that just a little bit. Um, and then the like Ring of Invisibility, there's even a Vorpal Sword on here. And it takes a number of Geases. You roll on a d20 to see what Geases appear on here, uh, and anywhere from one to three Geases, depending on how powerful stuff is. Uh, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I love the Fae Bargain. That will show up again. Magic items are just a whole variety of magical items. Uh, magical creatures are anything from like a Blink Dog to a Carrion Crawler to a Mimic. You could have a Mimic, um, e- either tamed or untamed, depending on what the creature is. Uh, Necromancy, you heard a little bit of with Dave, uh, and has lots of spells. The ceremonial type items you would expect from Necromancy. Uh, masks, uh, skulls, uh, that kind of strange stuff. Needful things is that merchant from hell that, um, I changed up the needful things merchant a little bit with, uh, Kleinenstern because I wanted to give a negative merchant here. I wanted to make it really, really persuasive. Normally, the merchant would only have the price of anybody that did an inconsequential favor for him. But instead, I changed it up so that it was multiple um, inconsequential favors that they had to do. And this Merchant from Hell has everything from, like, the Mace of Terror to a Wand of Fireballs to a Warlock Pack. But this one would have been the Fiend Patron instead, which I would have messed with a little bit, of course. Um, And then the inconsequential favors are pretty nasty. Um, There's, like, one that's leave a slaughtered black goat in the town square. Uh, and they get worse from there. They're they're pretty bad. The ones that I gave uh, Kleinenstern and uh, Barnaby were very tame in comparison to half of these. The time lost merchant would have been that Doctor Who kind of joke. Uh, the electric torch is on here. Uh, there was also an entertainment pad, which would have been obviously a tablet. Uh, that was really fun. I didn't want to include that in there. There was a jet pack, and that could have been hilarious, but didn't want to mess with that. You will definitely see him pop up again. And I did write down when Barnaby invents that spiral notebook. So that will come up, I'm guaranteeing, later on. Uh, and so that kind of sums up the legendary merchants. But it is so worth it. They have everything that you can imagine. I mean, this document is 33 pages long. Uh, It's fantastic. It's worth it to check out uh, Warlock Homebrew on DMS Guild. They've got a bunch of fantastic products. This is just one of many. Uh, The Traders and Merchants um, packet that I am talking about this time is uh, 100% pay what you want. Uh, So it is fantastic to pick up it goes hand-in-hand with Fortresses, Temples, and Strongholds, which is a very awesome packet as well. I've checked out some of the other ones, and we'll save those for later. Some of them may end up actually appearing on the Homebrew Review at some point. They have a Witch class. They have um, Tabaxi variants. They have the Commoner, which I think could be a ton of fun uh, to have at some point, uh, maybe for a one-shot or something. They've got the exotic weapons in here that have come up before. Um, there's the Fey race, uh, all sorts of, they even have a Seder, uh, which could be fun to bring up later, but there's all sorts of different things that they've got. Uh, if you search, uh, just for Warlock Homebrews on DMS Guild, you can find it very easily. They've got a ton of awesome stuff and I do hope that you will check them out. So that is everything that I've got for the DM recommendations from me, Bob. Thank you for listening to this long rest. If you would like to join our Patreon group and take part in the podcast itself, just visit us at patreon.com slash theadventuringguild. For as little as $2 a month, you can take part in the Homebrew Review podcast as well as have a guaranteed spot within the Chaos Plan. There are also many other bonuses to be had by becoming a Patreon member. 
Thank you once again, and we hope you will join us again next week for an episode of the Home Brew Review.